This morning, it is my privilege to uh, yeah, open up God's Word with you. Uh, for the next month or so, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah. So I'm going to be starting the series. I believe Steve will be preaching next week, and then after that, we'll be back to kind of the normal rotation of pastors. But I'm really excited to open up this book with you. Um, the book of Jonah is a book that it's really small in the Old Testament, Uh, But I would say that it's one where whether you were raised in the church, whether you would consider yourself a Christian, whether you're kind of still figuring it out, you probably have some degree of familiarity with Jonah. Uh, So when I say Jonah, I'd be willing to bet that the number one thing that comes into your mind is whale, right? Whale. Okay, uh, I'm going to kind of let you down easy on this a little bit. Um, So the book of Jonah in the original language, does not actually say whale. Sorry. I went to grad school so I could do this sort of thing, okay? It doesn't actually say whale. It just says big fish. And in fact, uh, when you look at the book of Jonah, when you actually scan through the text, uh, it only mentions this big fish that supposedly, as kind of the children's story Bibles tell it, is the whole story, right? It's only mentioned in three verses in the entire book. The fish is a really minor part in the actual story. I want to submit to you that that Jonah being swallowed up by a great fish is not what the book of Jonah is about. So what is it about? What is it about? Uh, The book of Jonah is what we might call a prophetic narrative. Uh, This means that the main character of the book is a prophet. So in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament people of God had these people uh, that were called prophets. And what was a prophet? A prophet was a person who received a special and direct revelation from God, and it was their job to take that special and direct revelation and to deliver it to the people. And so oftentimes that revelation was something uh, that was about kind of the future, about kind of God's plans for his people, how he was going to save his people. Uh, But most of the time, actually, it was interpreting God's word and applying it to a present situation. That's what a prophet did. They received word from God, and then they delivered it to the people. And every single prophetic book kind of begins with this same formula. It says, now the word of the Lord came to blank. And that's the same way, if you look at Jonah, that's the same way it begins. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Uh, But the thing that's different about Jonah is that what follows after that is not just a list of Jonah's kind of prophetic Uh, you know, warnings that he gave to all sorts of people. What happens is there's this story. And it's a story that's unique because it's not like a puff piece about Jonah the prophet. If you really pay attention to it, Jonah, the, the prophet, the guy who's supposed to be closest to God, comes out of this story looking like a jerk. He comes out of this story looking like a jerk. He experiences so much mercy from God he is the ultimate insider, and at the end of this story, he, he is huffing, crossing his arms, and he is so mad that God has showed mercy. So what's going on with this story? Is the point of this to just say, well, Jonah was a terrible guy? I think there's actually more going on here. The book of Jonah, it's not just about one bad prophet. It's about all of God's people. It's about everyone who, who calls himself a Christian. The book of Jonah It's really a tale of two hearts. It's a tale of two hearts. You have on the one hand, the heart of God that we see throughout this book. The heart of God is merciful. 
The heart of God moves towards the lost. The heart of God is filled with compassion and love. And then you have the heart of God's people represented in the prophet Jonah. And we see that the heart of, God, or that the heart of God's people is often merciless, that it's often cold, and that it often doesn't really want anything to do with the heart of God. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to kind of see the first interaction between these two hearts, between the heart of God and the heart of God's people. And as we look through this passage, we're just going to see, we're going to see two things. First, we're going to see how deep our rebellion goes. And second, we're going to see how deep God's mercy goes. So first, how deep our rebellion goes. And second, how deep God's mercy goes. And so with that, I want to read Jonah chapter 1 for us. I'll pray, and then we can go ahead and get started. So Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, "'What do you mean, you sleeper?' Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we come to you uh, looking at this book that for many of us um, will seem somewhat familiar uh, we, we may have grown up hearing about this story about uh, the prophet who's swallowed up by a fish and who goes to this place called Nineveh. Uh, Lord, a lot of times familiarity can get in the way of us actually seeing what it is that you have to say with us. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see with fresh eyes what it is that you are saying to your people through this. 
Lord, will you open our eyes? Will you wake us up from our sleep? Will you help us to see your great mercy? Will you help us to see your great love for us? And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as a reminder, we're going to be seeing how deep our rebellion goes and how deep God's mercy goes. So let's consider first how deep our rebellion goes. So if you would look with me to the first verse here. So we already said, this kind of begins as any sort of prophetic work does. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Uh, the, the name Jonah, it means dove. The word of the Lord comes to dove. And then son of Amittai, that means son of faithfulness. So we've got here, Jonah is called Dove, the son of faithfulness. The word of the Lord comes to him saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. What's happening here? God is calling his prophet here to a terrifying place to carry out a terrifying mission. Okay, a terrifying place. So Nineveh, God says that that Jonah is to go to Nineveh, that great city. So Nineveh, uh, Jonah would have known immediately what that is. That would have been the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time. And they were renowned, uh, you can go look it up in the historical record, for being kind of uh, particularly brutal with the people that they conquered. Uh, There's stories of them actually like skinning captives alive and just kind of like leaving them out in the city square for people to see. This is a particularly brutal empire. So this is the people that God is, is calling Jonah to go to. But not only that, Uh, Israel had a bad history with Assyria, with Nineveh particularly. Um, A generation previous, the king of Assyria had come to Israel and had started exacting this kind of huge tribute, basically kind of as like a protection. And so what this would have done, this would have kind of like economically crippled Israel. So Nineveh, they're the bad guys. They're the bad guys that have crippled Israel And not only that, uh, the prophet Nahum, who was before the time of Jonah, who Jonah would have known about, had prophesied that Nineveh, this great city that God calls him to go to, was going to be judged and destroyed. So all of this is going on in in Jonah's mind, that, that God is calling him to this terrifying place. But not only that, he's given him this terrifying mission. He says, I want you to go to these scary people, these people that you hate, that you and all your countrymen hate, And I want you to call out against them. Uh, What's he saying there? He's saying, Jonah, I want you to go to them and I want you to preach. I want you to preach and I want you to call them to repentance. I want you to call them to forsake their ways. I want you to confront them in their wickedness. And you got to imagine for Jonah, this is not looking very appealing. Like, how do you think these people are going to respond? But not only that, I mean, imagine, so Jonah is a a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. They have this bad history with the Assyrian Empire. God calls him to go there. How do you think that all of his countrymen would have looked at him if he had gone? If Jonah had decided to go and, and to preach to these people, do you think that all of his fellow Israelites would have been like, you know, good for you, Jonah? They'd probably have been like, what are you doing? Like, those are the bad guys. Stay away. See, so this wouldn't have only been scary. For Jonah, going and doing this, it would have been reputation suicide. His reputation would have been completely ruined. And so how does Jonah hear this? Right? Does Jonah understand what God is calling him to? Uh, well, we see later in the book that Jonah does absolutely understand what God is calling him to. Uh, Jonah understands that when God is telling him to go to Nineveh, that, he is, that God is intending to show mercy to this nation 
that God is attending to, to proclaim his good word. He is intending to call them to repentance, to give them an opportunity to turn, to turn from their ways. And Jonah is scared. But Jonah is not scared how, how you might think. He's not scared for his own physical health. He's scared that God might actually show mercy to people that are this wicked. So how does he respond? Well, Jonah responds to this terrifying call and, and goes kind of on a downward spiral. He runs in the opposite direction. Uh, you, we see that kind of literally in, in our passage here. God tells him to go to Nineveh, and the text tells us that what he does is he actually goes towards Tarshish, which is really hard to say, by the way. Um, he goes towards Tarshish, and that would have been on the furthest western reach of the known world, whereas Nineveh would have been to the east. So he goes completely in the opposite direction. And it says that he's doing this in order to flee from the presence of the Lord. It says it twice in verse 3. He went to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then he went away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Jonah would have had an education. Jonah would have known the Bible backwards and forwards. Uh, he would have known that trying to run away from a God who is omnipresent, meaning a God who is everywhere, was stupid. He would have known that. So what's he doing? See, I think what Jonah is doing here is he's, he's not trying to, thinking that he can somehow run away from God's presence as if it's only in one place. He's trying to run away from God's felt presence. He's trying to run away from experiencing God. Because God has given him a clear call to go to Nineveh. And so when Jonah runs the other direction, what he's trying to do is he's trying to step out of that. He's avoiding what God has called him to. But that's not the worst of it. Uh, we see in verses uh, 3 through 5 that Jonah kind of progressively gets lower and lower. Uh, it's subtle, but you see it the way that the author kind of points this out. It says that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, and it says he went down to Joppa. And then when he got to Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it, away from the presence of the Lord. And then it goes on later, and it says that Jonah, once he gets on this ship, and there's this, uh, this storm that God has caused to try to interrupt his prophet, what does it say about Jonah? It says that he has gone down into the innermost parts of the, of the ship, and that he has gone down fast asleep. You hear that directional language. What the author here is communicating is that Jonah, as he is fleeing from God's presence, there is this downward trajectory of his life that he is getting lower and lower and lower as he runs away from God's presence. And it's not just that. I mean, it, it continues to progress, right? So in verse 4, we see the Lord kind of sends this storm upon this ship that Jonah has gotten on that's captained by these people who, who are pagans, who do not know the Lord. And there's this storm, and, and the pagan sailors, it, they seem to be pretty quick, they figure out, like, there's something unusual about this storm. Like, there's something uniquely bad about this one. It, it seems like something is happening. So what do they do? They call out to their gods. It says they, everyone cries out to their own gods. Maybe the god's going to listen to us, and he's going to turn, and he, he's going to help us. But nothing works. And after they've kind of, like, exasperated all attempts, none of the gods are answering. They decide that they're going to go down to this guy who's down in the bottom of the ship. So the ship captain comes to Jonah and he tells him, like, wake up. You should talk to your God. Like, talk to your God. Maybe he'll listen to us. 
So I just want to point this out, okay? This is, this is deeply ironic, and this would have been probably pretty offensive for the first people to read this. In this, you see when there's all of these problems going on, and it's clear that it's God's judgment, the people who don't know God are the ones who are praying. And the person who does know God is down fast asleep. And this is not a healthy sleep. This is, this is a sleep that he is asleep to reality. He's asleep to the deepest reality. And we see this most clearly in his answer. Uh, after, you know, he, you know, someone goes down to Jonah, and then they, uh, they cast lots, which is this ancient way of just kind of rolling the dice, and they figure out somehow miraculously that Jonah is the reason that all of this has happened. They go to Jonah, and they kind of start interrogating him. And they say, like, why is this happening? What's your occupation? Where are you from? What's your country? What sort of people are you from? And Jonah's answer is really telling. Jonah says this. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, that is a, that is a factually correct answer. But just think about how opposite that is to how Jonah has been behaving. If Jonah belongs to God, and if Jonah's God is the one who, who is in covenant with his people, and, and also that he is the one who made the sea, he is the one who made the dry land, why in the world would his prophet, the person who is supposedly closest to him, who, who knows what he's saying, why in the world would his prophet be down asleep and not calling out to him? You see, Jonah is asleep to reality. He says that he fears God, that he honors him, and yet his actions show he's asleep. He's asleep to the deepest reality. And then things get worse, which is surprising and shocking. So, you know, Jonah tells them, well, the reason that this is happening is because of me. Because I'm running from God. And then these, these pagan sailors, remember, don't know God, they, they try to save him. They try to do anything that they could to, to kind of make this storm not so bad, to kind of right the ship, figure everything out. But then it eventually becomes clear this storm is getting worse and we've got to do something. And so Jonah says, you know, it's because of me, you got to toss me over the edge and the storm will stop. Now, some people, when they read that, they might be tempted to think that Jonah is kind of being noble here right, that he, that he kind of like has woken up on some level and realized that all of these people are in trouble because of me. The noble thing to do would be to throw myself over the edge. Uh, but if we pay attention to Jonah's attitude throughout the rest of this book, I, I don't think there's any way we could justify that claim. What's happening here actually is this is Jonah's kind of final act of rebellion. It's as if Jonah, when he's going over the edge, what he's saying to himself is, you know where God can't get to me? the grave. God can't make me do anything if I'm dead. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. Okay, I think we'll all agree that this downward spiral that Jonah's on is a little bit depressing. Um, it's, it's humiliating. It's sad. He hears this terrifying call from God, and then he heads on a downward spiral. He's the worst prophet ever. But what does this story have to do with us? What does this have to do with us? Uh, the 20th century novelist Flannery O'Connor has this great quote that I think can kind of point us in the right direction. She says this, when you can assume that your audience holds the same beliefs you do, you can relax and use more normal means of talking to it. But when you assume that it does not, then you have to make your vision apparent by shock, 
To the hard of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind you draw large and startling figures. So think back through this narrative, and think back through to all these kind of shocking things that we're seeing from Jonah. In the story of Jonah, we see that the one who supposedly hears God most clearly runs from him. We see that the prophet sleeps while the pagans pray. See, what's going on here is that Jonah is a figure that's designed to shock us. He's a large and startling figure, and he reveals something about about our own hearts to us. Tim Keller sums it up well. He says this. He says, Jonah's whole problem was the same as ours, a conviction that if we fully surrender our will to God, he will not be committed to our good and joy. Jonah had this conviction that, that deep down, God was not to be trusted. That if he went along with what God had called him to do, that it would not have been for his ultimate good. And for Jonah, this problem, it manifested itself in, in this merciless heart, in, in this racist attitude towards these people that God had called him to go to. But what about us? What about us? Where, where does this same heart problem show up in our lives? Well, think about it this way. I mean, think about the hard things in the Bible, the hard things that Jesus calls us to Right? Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And yet, how much time do we spend obsessing over how wrong our enemies are? How much time do we spend kind of convincing ourselves that really the the way that that life could get better for us is that if this person who opposes me was just not around? Right? Ultimately, we want to erase people from the world, people who get in our way. Or Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, he calls us to pray for our daily bread. And yet, most of the time, our experience is that we kind of anxiously work ourselves to death. Because why? Well, we're not sure that he's actually going to provide for us. We're not sure, deep down, that God's actually good. Or Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful. And yet, so often, we're harsh with ourselves, we're harsh with others, we're harsh with our children. Because we're not sure that leading with mercy is actually going to end up heading for our good and for our joy. There's many more examples of this. I just kind of give a couple of those to put it on your radar. But I think each of these actions, kind of what unites them, is that deep down, we are not convinced that God is good. We're not convinced And the scary thing about the story of Jonah, especially, you know, as we're sitting here in a church and there's so many of us who who belong here and have been here for a long time, uh, Jonah's religious pedigree could not protect him from this. Like, Jonah was a deeply religious man. Jonah was a man that that probably most people looked at him in in the religious community and they, they really wanted to be like him. And if you're anything like me and you kind of hear someone saying like, okay, maybe deep down you're not convinced that God is good, my mind immediately goes to all these counterpoints of like, okay, well, maybe I'm not that bad, right? Like I've been a Christian forever. Or, you know, in the past, like God has used me in a lot of really amazing ways. But the thing is, all of that was true of Jonah as well. And yet we see him here trying to sink to the bottom of the ocean in rebellion against God. You see, our rebellion runs deep. But fortunately, that's not where this passage leaves us. It also shows us that there's something that goes deeper. 
shows us how deep God's mercy goes. And so I just want to scan through this passage a second time, and we're just going to consider uh, God's merciful heart. And in this passage, we're going to see that the Lord goes after two categories of people, that he goes after the lost and that he goes after the found, or maybe more accurately, those who think that they're found. So the Lord goes after the lost. Where do we see that happening in this story? Well, first off, right at the beginning, the Lord tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. This is not a normal thing that God did with his prophets in the Old Testament. He did not send them to opposing nations very often, but he's doing that here. And why is he doing this? Well, we see later on uh, when Jonah and God are talking at the end of this story in chapter 4, God says that he has compassion on these people because they are so lost that they cannot tell their right hand from their left. You see, God has a heart for the lost. And so God sends his prophet with his word. And what can his word do? His word can convict. His word can lead to repentance. His word can give light. He's sending this to a people who are dwelling in darkness. So the Lord moves towards these lost people in Nineveh, but he also moves towards these lost sailors. Right? Like Jonah, despite his best efforts, he actually, this is a pretty successful, you know, evangelism here from Jonah. Would we ever have him teach a class on evangelism? Absolutely not. Uh, but what he's doing here, Jonah is running from the Lord. Like he could not be more in, like in the worst spot. His heart is in a terrible spot. Everything he's doing is completely contrary to who God is. And yet God uses that to bring salvation. You see in in verse 16, it says, after these men's interaction with Jonah, it says that they feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What does that mean? That means that these people are coming into the kingdom of God. That God is using a terrible prophet to bring about his mercy. It's amazing. So the Lord goes after the lost. But the Lord also goes after the found. The Lord also goes after the found We see this in the way that the Lord uh, pursues Jonah. He has a heart for the found as well as the lost. So Jonah, when he hears the message from God, he runs in the opposite direction. What what does God do? Well, it, it says that he hurls a great wind upon the sea. Like, wouldn't it have been so much easier, you know, if you're, think about it in an interpersonal relationship, if you're dealing with someone, like, and you've asked them to do something, and they run in the opposite direction, like, what, what is the path of least resistance? Boundary. I'm not going to try to make this person do something they don't want to do, right? You give up on them because it's easier. But what does God do? He sends a storm. And what's he doing in that storm? He, he's trying to teach Jonah the danger that he's in. He's demonstrating to Jonah that, that, that rebelling against God, that running headlong into sin brings a storm. And he's showing it to him literally. But even more than that, he, he continues on in this passage pursuing Jonah. We saw that Jonah, he, he goes down into the bottom of the ship and then he goes deep into sleep. And then you have this, this pagan captain who comes to him and what he says is kind of remarkable. He says to Jonah, arise, call out to your God. And if you're listening closely, what does that sound like? 
That sounds like the original call that God gave Jonah, doesn't it? He says, arise and go call out. What's God doing? God God is using any means necessary to try to get his prophet's attention. He's trying to get this, this smug man who thinks he knows everything, knows better than God. He's trying to get his intention. The Lord is after his runaway prophet. And then finally, when Jonah is, is sinking down to the bottom of the ocean in despair, what does God do? It says in verse 17, he appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. See, the Lord subverts even Jonah's greatest act of rebellion. It's as if no matter how far Jonah runs, God's mercy runs farther. Uh, the Puritan Richard Sibb said it this way. He says that there is more mercy in God than there is sin in us. And that's what we see in this story of Jonah. Um, so I have a two-year-old daughter, Louise, that many of you know. Um, and she, is recently, she has recently become obsessed with this children's storybook Bible that I was raised with in the 90s. Um, in particular, she's been obsessed with this sor- the story of the parable of the lost sheep, uh, which Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. And it has kind of these, you know, very rudimentary illustrations of this parable. If you don't know the story, you know, it's a story about a, she- a shepherd who has 100 sheep. One of them runs away. He leaves the 99, goes after the one, and he rejoices when he found him. But there's this page in this story Bible, and it's the moment right after the shepherd realizes that his lost sheep is gone. And he's making a face like this. And every time my daughter sees it, like without fail, it could be 15 times in a row, she will say, oh no, my lost sheep. Every time. What is that? That is the heart of God the Father. That is the heart of God the Father. That's the merciful heart of the Lord. His mercy is so deep that he has mercy on the lost and those of us who think we're found. And this is good news, isn't it? Because this means that that wherever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself, whether you're, you're kind of running from God in a sense, you know, knowingly, right? That you, you know that what you're doing, the way that you're living is not right. We see in the story of Jonah that, that God is after you. Or maybe you're kind of in this place where you don't even know what's going on. Well, God is after you too. And the Lord knows, he knows every single wavering of your heart. He knows the ways that deep down you don't think he's that good. And guess what? He's still running after you. It's like the song that we occasionally sing here at Redeemer, our sins They are many. His mercy is more. All right, so we've seen throughout uh, this whole story here, our rebellion, it runs deep. It runs deep. That we're not so different from Jonah the prophet than we would like to believe. Uh, We believe deep down that God really, if we submitted to him, really if we followed what he calls us to do, that it would not end up for our good. But we've also seen that God's mercy goes to the deepest places and that it pursues both the lost and the found, that there is more mercy in God than there is sin in us. And if you're anything like me, like you've heard this so many times, and maybe maybe that's not you, maybe you've heard this, this might be the first time you're hearing something like this. But I think there's a tendency, whether this is the first time we've heard it or, or the millionth time we've heard it, to kind of be like, yeah, that's great, okay, so what? Like, what, how does that change you? It's as if there's kind of something internally that holds us back. 
Uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the um, second Harry Potter movie. I think it's second. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. There's this great scene where Harry is uh, upstairs in his room trying to hide from his terrible aunt and uncle uh, because they've told him they don't want, want him to make any noise. They don't want him to pretend like he's not there. And to his dismay, when he runs up into his room, he finds this house elf, uh, this little creature who is making a lot of noise. Uh, the house elf's name is Dobby. And, and Dobby has had a very terrible experience with wizards like Harry. Uh, he's been mistreated continually. And so Dobby is up in this room. He's making all sorts of noise. And then Harry, you know, aware of his aunt and uncle downstairs, is like, can you, can you please be quiet? How about you just sit down and we talk? And again, to his dismay, Dobby sits down and he just starts weeping. Like he just starts getting even louder. And Harry says, I'm so sorry. Have I offended you? What's going on? And then Dobby says this to him. He says, Dobby has heard of your greatness, sir. But of your goodness, Dobby never knew. Of your goodness, Dobby never knew. You see, he had never been treated that way by a wizard. He had never been shown kindness. And as we close, I just want to ask... Is it possible that that could be you? Is it possible that you've heard a lot about God, but that you've never actually experienced his goodness? Or could it be that that, that maybe you've heard it, maybe you've experienced his goodness, but you've forgotten it? Have you forgotten his mercy? Could it be that you're like Jonah? And if that's you, I just want to ask you to take a moment to gaze upon the goodness of God in Jesus. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, who is a a Scottish pastor, he says this, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and rest in his almighty arms. I don't know how that hits you. I would imagine there are people in here who are hearing that and they're like, what does that even mean? How in the world can can I feel God's eyes settled on me in love and rest in his almighty arms? The way to do it is to look at Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you're going to see someone who's like Jonah, but better. You see, like Jonah, Jesus received a terrifying call. But unlike Jonah, he followed what God asked him to do. Like Jonah, Jesus went on a downward spiral towards death. But unlike Jonah, it wasn't because of his rebellion. It was because of ours. You see, Jonah went to the depths to flee from God's heart. And on the cross, Jesus went to the depths in order to display God's heart to us in a way that we could understand. You see, Jonah, even though he was guilty, he doesn't receive ultimate punishment. Jesus, even though he was innocent, he receives ultimate punishment. Why? Well, Jesus went to the depths to deliver me and you. It was the only way that he could have you. And this, when we look at it, this is the sort of love that can melt our rebellious hearts. This goes so much deeper than our rebellion could ever go. You see, in Jesus, we see this this kind of cosmic subversion of our belief that God isn't up for our good. You see, in Jesus, we see how far the mercy of God was willing to go, that he was willing to go into death itself for us. And when we look at that, our rebellious hearts 
can be melted and they can be turned into merciful hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there is more mercy in you than there is sin in us. That is uh, such a simple thing, and yet, I, man, as I think about my week, as I think about even my morning, there's so many counterpoints of just areas where I just get so angry. And I know that, that my friends here, too, do as well, that, that we get angry at ourselves, that we, we just can't live with this fact that we're not enough. Um, but Lord, your mercy is enough. Your mercy is more than enough. I pray, Lord, that you would testify to the deepest places in our hearts that Jesus went to the depths for us, and Lord, that he was raised for our justification. Lord, help us to receive and to rest in that beautiful provision. In Jesus' name, amen.